Ready? Members of the commission, we are now live. Good evening and welcome to the October 12th, 2022 meeting of the Montgomery County Historic Preservation Commission. My name is Bob Sutton and I'm the chair and I would like for commission members and staff to introduce themselves starting on my left. This is Commissioner Doman. Karen Burdett. Marsha Barnes. Julie Pelletier. Mark Clements. Jeffrey Haynes. Rebecca Ballow, Historic Preservation Staff. Dan Brugert, Historic Preservation Staff. John Lieberts, Historic Preservation Staff. Thank you. The first item on our agenda tonight is a uh, project. The, um, um, get it here in a minute, the public hearing um, for the listing of the locational atlas and master plan site for the um, Edward T. Taylor School. And I would like to begin by having a staff report. Do we have a report ready? Yes. Uh, good evening. John Lieberts, Cultural Resource Planner with Montgomery Planning for the Record. The purpose of tonight's public hearing and work session is to determine whether the Edward U. Taylor School at 19501 White Ground Road in Boyd's meets designation criteria, criteria for listing in the Locational Atlas and Index of Historic Sites and the Master Plan for Historic Preservation. Overall, staff found that the property meets the designation criteria and request that the HPC takes the following actions. First, finds that the school meets the designation criteria. Second, recommend that the planning board list the property to the locational atlas. And third, recommend that the planning board. Isaac, can we turn up the volume on the staff microphone? Okay. Is this better? Excellent. Thank you. And third, recommends that the planning board recommends that the county council list the property to the master plan for historic preservation. Resources listed to the master plan must satisfy historical and cultural significance or architectural and design significance. The designation process includes hearings at the Historic Preservation Commission, planning board, and county council, who ultimately decides whether a resource is listed. The Mark Rail Community Sector Plan, approved and adopted in 2019, directed the Historic Preservation Office to evaluate the property for designation as a historic site to commemorate its role as one of the few modern schools constructed in Montgomery County for black students during the era of segregation. Staff moved forward with that recommendation. I'll start this presentation with a brief introduction to Boyd's and the Taylor School before discussing the broader historic context. So down the two-lane white ground road in the rural village of Boyd's, visitors can read the cultural landscape of black education in a small collection of vernacular buildings and sites. The site of the demolished school number five at St. Mark's Episcopal Church, built in 19, 1878, school number two, built in 1895, and finally, the Edward U. Taylor Elementary School, built in 1952, anchored this landscape. These resources reflect the transition of school design for black students from its co-location with churches to the acquisition of property and construction for one-room schoolhouses for individual communities and the building of consolidated elementary schools for the region before integration. Founded in the mid to late 19th century, the landscape of boys, in conjunction with the protected surrounding resources, highlights the architectural legacy of racial segregation and integration over a 100-year span from, from the post-bellum era to the mid-20th century. All of these sites are located within a tenth of a mile radius of one another. School number two and St. Mark's Church are listed in the Master Plan for Historic Preservation as part of the Boys Master Plan Historic District. No? Okay, can we turn up the volume anymore, Isaac? That might be as high as it goes, I'm sorry. I'll try to slow down as much as possible and just normally project instead of using the mic. Is this any better? Okay, is this any better? You can hear better? Okay, I'll okay. make sure to stay close to the mic. Okay. Uh, school number five, the joint church and school from 1878, no longer exists and there are no records of its design. The combined use of religious and educational buildings, however, was common for education for black residents in Montgomery County. The congregation constructed the present day church shown here in 1893. 
Montgomery County constructed school number two, the replacement for the school co-located with the church in 1895. Bella S. James served as the first teacher in the new building. She earned $164 for teaching an average of 40 students per day and a total of 85 different pupils. Montgomery County School Board then built a modern movement influenced Edward U. Taylor Elementary School in Boyds in 1952. The Taylor School achieved modern educational, educational design standards including concrete structural systems with brick veneer, ribbon, ribbon and metal windows providing light and ventilation, and access from each classroom to the exterior. The one-story flat roof building features four different phases of construction completed over 17 years between 1952 and 1969. Uh, here is a model showing the four different periods of construction. The original building comprised of the auditorium, entrance hall, principal's office, cafeteria, and four classrooms as shown in blue. Then you have the two classroom addition in 1954 shown in orange. After that, the addition of two classrooms, a health office, teacher's room, storage area, and extension of the principal's office in 1961 shown in yellow. And finally, the Library and the Services edition in 1969, which is shown in green. And here are a few photographs of the Taylor School. You can see the main entrance in the upper left, the auditorium and stage in the upper right, and a typical classroom wing in the lower left. Next, I'll discuss the historic context for the public education of black residents in Montgomery County. When examining such educational facilities, it is important to understand the broader aspects of the racial, social, and economic history of Montgomery County. Maryland was a slave state that never ceded from the Union. The Emancipation Proclamation freed enslaved persons in the Confederate states, but not enslaved persons in the border states. Maryland's Constitution of 1851 forbade passage of any laws abolishing slavery. Therefore, the state had to write a new constitution, and Maryland held a statewide referendum on its passage in October 1864. Fewer than a quarter of Montgomery County voters supported the referendum. In Maryland, the majority of eligible civilian voters rejected the Constitution, but the inclusion of absentee ballots from Union soldiers in the field passed the referendum. After the Civil War, Maryland diverged from Southern states as it wasn't subject to federal reconstruction. The Maryland Democratic Party regained power in 1866 and effectively barred black participation in politics. Nevertheless, black Montgomery County residents were essential in the creation of the education system for their children. In 1865, the federal government opened a branch of the Freedmen's Bureau and partnered with Northern Benevolent organizations to support black residents who opened schools. The Bureau provided rent, building materials, books, and transportation for teachers. In 1866, records noted only three schools for black children despite a newly freed population of 7,500 people. In addition, the Bureau implied that white residents burned a combined church and school building completed near Rockville, and outside of the Quakers at Sandy Spring, the Bureau stated that the white residents of the county in no way assisted the black residents and threw obstacles in their way. Neither the county nor state provided any assistance or funding for segregated black schools at this time. Would you like me to pause for a second? Does, we'll do a test real quick. We'll do an audio test. Ooh, is that too loud? <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll find a good volume. Is, is, this, an, is this a comfortable volume? Yes? Okay. Great. And you can hear me okay as well now? Excellent, okay, great. So the Maryland General Assembly mandated segregated public education for black residents in 1872. The legislation required the comptroller to appropriate an annual sum for the support of black schools. The funding, however, failed to meet the needs of the populace. By 1879, the Board of Education had established 20 segregated black schools. The schools consisted of one-room buildings, similar to the white schools, albeit heavily underfunded, where spaces rented and donated within churches. Archival records suggest that black churches housed a third of the first schools. Montgomery County established the first school at Boyd's, school number five at St. Mark's Methodist Episcopal Church, 
1878. And again, this is a uh, later church building on the site of St. Mark's today. In August 1895, the Board of Education purchased a half-acre property nearby on White Ground Road for a new one-room school shown here. And also is a, a picture of some students with the uh, school flag. Here's another photograph of students standing outside that same building. In 1896, the Supreme Court legitimized the refrain of separate but equal in its racially divided unequal school systems in the case of Plessy v. Ferguson. Black residents in Montgomery County, however, continued to persevere and advocated for better and improved school conditions. The co-location of, school, of schools within churches largely had ceased by 1914. However, the disparity between white and segregated black schools continued. Montgomery County expended about $37 per white student, but only $7 per black students when including new construction. The U.S. Bureau of Education found that one-room schoolhouses represented the greatest obstacle to rural education in the county and noted the poor condition of the county's 30 black schools in 1914. This included insufficient space, maintenance issues, wood frame buildings, lack of water supply and outdoor toilets, and, un and unsanitary conditions. Many of these one-room schools, including school number two in Boyd's, were beyond reasonable repair and closed by 1938. The Board of Education moved the students to Clarksburg, at least four miles from the former school, and auctioned the school building to a property owner who converted it to single-family dwelling. So on this slide here on the left, we have uh, schools that were constructed for white students on the left, and then schools constructed for black students on the right. The period between the closure of the Boyd School and the opening of the Edward E. Taylor Elementary School coincided with several state and national challenges to the separate but equal doctrine. The NAACP implement, implemented an equalization strategy by, following, by filing lawsuits that would force states with the jure segregation to comply with the equal part of separate but equal. By the 1940s, states with de jure segregation recognized the nation's growing social consciousness and increasing number of lawsuits that threatened the institutionalized segregated system. This often led to attempts to, pres to preserve segregation through corrective school funding. In Georgia, South Carolina, and Mississippi, the states adopted schemes with the express purpose of raising the quality of either the segregated black schools and or educational programs. While there are no explicit programs or legislative initiatives in Montgomery County, the actions of the board to consolidate the remaining segregated black schools and construct permanent school buildings similar to the white schools should be considered through this lens. Improvements of segregated black schools throughout the South were occurring to avoid litigation. Planning for the consolidation of, of, black elementary, of segregated black elementary schools progressed in 1947 when the Board of Education requested a 14 million building program for the school system. The proposal called for the construction of five new school buildings, only four were built, and the closure of 19 dispersed elementary schools and the last one-room schools in the county. Montgomery County hired the architectural firm of McLeod and Ferrara, who specialized in educational and religious architecture. The firm designed all four consolidated black elementary schools and won an award from the Silver Spring Board of Trade for Excellence of Design at Emory Grove. Montgomery County opened the Edward E. Taylor Elementary School in 1952. Upon opening, the enrollment of Taylor comprised of 221 students with an average of 37 pupils per teacher. The school immediately faced overcrowding as the stage and auditorium served as classrooms. By 1954, the school board completed a two-room addition also designed by McLeod and Ferreira, that increased the capacity by 60 students. The Supreme Court's landmark decision in Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka in 1954 led to the desegregation of the county's public school system. The Board of Education reviewed policies that dictated immediate and complete desegregation, but opted for a slower approach, partially due to the need for a building campaign. At the end of 1957, 51% of the schools were desegregated. Approximately a third of black students and a half of the white students were in desegregated schools. Black leaders and advocates recognized discriminatory practices by the board. The NAACP and Margaret Nolte, former member of the county's advisory committee on integration, both accused the school board of preserving segregation by means of creating artificial capacity issues, failing to utilize existing capacity at white schools, and preferred school assignment provided to white students regardless of space or program. 
In addition, Nolte contended that the school board failed to account for the five remaining segregated black schools in their capacity calculations. In December 1958, the Superintendent's Committee on Desegregation presented to the Board of Education a plan to complete the desegregation of the public school system by the fall of 1961. The plan created an approach that included, among other items, drawing of new school boundaries based on location of the children in relation to the school so that the, so that the ratio of black to white students would not exceed one to three. Recommendations for the use of the four black elementary schools on an integrated basis appears to be driven by that ratio of white to black students. For example, the committee did not suggest the use of two of the consolidated black elementary schools as integrated schools because, and I quote, it is impossible to establish reasonable boundaries, end quote, without a predominant number of black students. In June 1961, Rock Terrace Elementary, Sandy Spring Elementary, and the Taylor Elementary were the last three remaining segregated black schools in the county. Taylor Elementary was the final segregated black school to close in June 1961, and the only segregated black school to reopen as an integrated elementary school. While the school board declared an end to segregated schools, and the Washington Post noted, quote, county closes door on school segregation, end quote, as many, of, as many as 46 schools in Montgomery County remained with an all-white student body due to, due to a lack of black students within the school district boundaries. This is likely due to discriminatory real estate practices occurring within the county, access to capital and favorable loan rates more readily, readily available to whites, uh, persons living in the county, and shifting populations. For the Taylor School, the school board hired the architecture firm of Hayes, Shea, and Mattern or Mattern to design a third edition prior to the school's ultimate integration. The $50,000 edition consisted of two classrooms, a health room, teacher's room, storage area, and other alterations. In 1969, the school board constructed the last edition consisting of a library and associated workspace, speech and hearing room, and special services room. Even with the recent improvements, discussions of closing the school started due to declining school enroll enrollment throughout the county in the Washington, D.C. region in the mid-1970s. During this period, the county closed at least 23 school buildings, usually due to a lack of enrollment, and the school board voted to close the Taylor School on June 20, 1979. After the closure, the building housed the Taylor Learning Center. The facility held approximately 40 up-county students who were formerly bused to the Sandburg Learning Center in Rockville. The facility had limited enrollment for children in preschool and Head Start and provided services for people with disabilities. In 1994, the Board of Education converted the facility to the Taylor Science Center, where science kits were compiled and distributed to schools countywide. The exterior of the building, however, remained largely unaltered. The board continues to utilize the facility in this capacity. In conclusion, in conclusion, the Taylor School and the Associated Cultural Landscape serves as a reminder of educational opportunities for black students in the final stages of the desegregation plan enacted in Montgomery County. The Taylor School, one of the last county schools to be desegregated in 1961, was the only segregated black elementary or high school to retain its original use. Due to the Board of Education's policies, the burden of ensuring desegregation at artificially created ratios fell to the black community. Preserving the architecture of racial segregation creates a forum to educate the public, provide spaces to deliberate past and modern race relations, and discuss social justice and tolerance. Uh, and to recap, here are the staff recommendations. Staff finds the site meets one designation criteria related to architectural and design significance, and two designation criteria related to historic and cultural significance. Furthermore, the building retains sufficient historic integrity to express its period of significance overall. And again, staff requests that the HBC takes the following actions. Finds that the school meets the designation criteria. Second, recommends that the planning board list the property to the locational atlas. And third, recommends that the planning board recommends that the county council list the property to the master plan for historic preservation and I'd be happy to answer any questions the commission has. Are there any questions? Commissioner Barnes. I think Christine. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Chris <laughs> Commissioner Radu. 
Um, one question I have about the, the dates for the period of significance. Do you mind like explaining a little bit more about why um, going until 1979? I, I believe we chose those dates for the period of significance was to uh, establish its use as a school facility. And when looking at that again, I'll have to make sure that that wasn't a, uh, a typo that should have just been to the end of it function as an elementary school. Uh, it, it probably was a typo. I should probably say 1969 is my guess, but I'd have to make sure that's the, uh, the, yeah, I think it's for the closing of the elementary school date that we have in the report, but I, I'll double check to make sure that date is right, because the closure is 1979, I'm sorry. The closure of the school is in 1979, which is why it extends to that date. So it's it's capturing its function uh, as a school. But the significance you're associated with the desegregation. I mean, that is that. It's not the significance is not because it's just a school. Well, I think the significance it captures that entire period is what our. Our goal was for the uh, for the reasons why is it's capturing as an elementary school from its opening in 1952 to its closing in 1979, and then when it moves into other functions, uh, that's when we ended the period. Thank you, Commissioner Barnes. Um, I just wanted to follow up a little bit on uh, Commissioner Radu's to to understand. We are talking about the entire structure, not the original 1952, but all of the additions. Yes, all the additions are included in the uh, environmental setting. In the environmental setting, but are we, we're focused on the structure. Yes, and so if you look at the design guidelines, which are in the appendix, that lays out the treatment of the building, uh, and it does not differentiate between the different phases of how they should be treated. Okay, thank you. And my second question, um, will listing the uh, school on the locational atlas with a view of having it become a master plan site, um, it belongs to the Board of Education, will that result in improved maintenance of the facility? Uh, well, this facility is actively used by the Board of Education still. I, I, I know it is, but uh, at least just from an uneducated eye going by, it does not look as if it's particularly well maintained. This is Rebecca Ballow for the record. I certainly think that listing the property to the locational atlas and ultimately to the master plan for historic preservation provides an additional forum for historic preservation advocates for this board, other advocates for the Boyd's Historical Society and, and others um, to, to advocate the Board of Education directly for other CIP projects or other improvements to the property once it is listed. Thank you. Commissioner Doman. I have a, a comment. I'm not sure if it's really appropriate at this time. Are we gonna have a discussion Afterwards, yes, we will have a discussion. Okay, I'll, because yes. it's not directly applicable for yeah, right now. Right now, staff. we need to have questions, and then we will have you'll have plenty of opportunity. For, Thank you for discussion. Thank you, Commissioner Burdett. Uh, my question is about the two architectural firms that were involved with the design of the building, <clears> the, the initial structure, and several additions, and then the final addition. Is there anything about those firms? Um, that brought them to working on this project specifically, or were they just won a bid that had been get sent out? I did read the, um, the school board minutes, and it didn't say the reason why they were selected. It just talked about their selection process. Um, but you know, the firm, uh, McLeod and Ferrara, they were one of, the, one of the leaders of the firm. You know, they focused on religious buildings and the other person focused on educational buildings. You know, they had written in academic journals about you know, educational design of, uh, for school design. And I think they were probably just well qualified and active in the region, but um, there were no 
direct reasons given in the school board minutes about why the firm was selected. Thank you. Any other questions, Commissioner Pelletier? This is Commissioner Pelletier. Um, can you talk a little bit about the condition that the building is in now? Because um, we saw some photos, but and I know it's used, you know, for the science kits. But like, it has the original windows, right? It, like, how does everything look? Does it need work? Like, I, I, I think these, you know, the the school board continues to maintain the building. Um, I, I assume that structurally the building sounds. Uh, there doesn't seem to be, you know, I'm not an engineer by any means, or, um, but there doesn't seem to be any stru ongoing structural building issues with the building. Uh, it is actively used by a number of employees on a, on a daily basis. Um, you know, while we toured the interior of it, you know, there were parts, of, you know, they operated all sections of it. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be continued, and the school board has no current plans to stop its use as a as the Taylor Science Center to, to assemble the kits. And so I think it's going to be continued to be used for the immediate future by the school board in that in that capacity. So there aren't any current plans to renovate or to restore windows or anything like that? OK, thanks. Any other questions? OK, um, we will. We will actually uh, welcome our guests. I have two names here, and uh, I have a, a Ms. Rita Talley, and I have a Ms. Della Turner um, Douglas. So, uh, Ms. Ms. Talley, if you could come forward to the table here. There's a microphone there. If you push the button until the light comes on, uh, we would welcome your testimony, and you will have three minutes. And you please sit down at the table if you wouldn't mind, so we can. That's the, the microphone works a little better if you can do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, my name is Rita Talley, and I am a graduate from the Edward G. Taylor Elementary School. My siblings, which are six of us, we did graduate from Edward G. Taylor, and. What you're doing tonight or what you're discussing tonight is a very big step and something for us to be very proud of. My aunt, Betty Talley Hawkins, was the secretary there from the time the school opened until the time the school closed. She was very instrumental in keeping an eye on us, all of the kids, all of us in the neighborhood that walked to the school, that were bused to the school. It took... It takes a village to raise a child, and that's what we had at Edward U. Taylor Elementary School. The um, lady sitting next to me, this is my aunt, and, well, I should say my cousin. Um, her name is Dolores Talley. She worked there at the school, along with um, some of the other um, family members and relatives, my Aunt Betty, and um, during that time, she also kept an eye on us, kept us in, um, made us walk the right way and do the right thing that we were told to do. So this is a very big meeting, and this is a good meeting for us as far as um, seeing that school is going to be made historical. You addressed a couple of things that I wanted to, to actually hear more about, or maybe we'll hear it later, uh, in regard to the upkeep of the school. If you do go past the school, you'll see that it does need some upkeep from the outside if it's going to be a historical building. Regardless of whether the county keeps it on the inside and uses it for scientific packages, the outside needs to be presentable as a historical building for us. We should be allowed as family members for that school and graduates from that school to be able to use the facility on the outside to do family things, to bring our families back together, to bring the kids back together. We played there. We made friends there. We graduated from there. So I think what you're doing tonight is a good thing. I'm sure that my aunt, who was there from the time it opened till the time it closed, Miss um, Morris, I can give you a few names. Miss Morris was our principal. Mr. Jones was our principal. We had uh, 
family member friends that drove the school bus. So they did keep us in line and they kept us in check. And most of us, as I can see, have gone in, in, in great and good directions. Um, you address the science packages that are on the inside of the school. I don't know where they go. I've never asked, I've never questioned it. But when I ride past the school, like I said, it does need some upkeep. And if you've never been by there and you're just looking at pictures, you're just gonna see a building. It's not gonna have much meaning to you. But to us as a community, as graduates, as family members for the Boyd community, the Buck Lodge community, the Blocktown community, some of the uh, former uh, other, other townships that are close by, that school stands for a lot for us. So if you're going to make it historical, yes, we'd like to know what you're going to do with it and how it's going to continue to stay in good shape to represent a historical building. Thank you. Are there any questions for uh, Ms. Talley? Commissioner Burdett. Thank you, Ms. Talley. Your comments are, are very worthwhile for us. Um, I do have one question. Do you have an alumni association? Um, um, not yet. Over the last couple of years, we've talked or brought up the um, idea of doing a homecoming and bringing mm -hmm. back um, all of the kids that are still living and bringing us back to the school to see what we could do as far as having a celebration. Mm -hmm. um, and you can call it a celebration of life for the school or a celebration yeah. of life for the community. But there are a lot of us that are still in the area. Um, we have some that have moved out, but I'm sure if they knew a lot more about the school being made historical, that they would probably want to be involved. That is a good idea to have alumni. Uh, alumni associations are great organizations and they also have, can usually pull a little more political influence. Right. Um, and also uh, with your comments, it sounds like the school was a, a pretty significant employer in the community, especially for women. Yes, it was. My aunt was there from the time it opened until the time it closed. My cousin Dolores, and most of us could say Cousin Dolores, but when she was in school, she was Miss Lois. <laughs> so you might find we still call her Miss Lois, but when we're on a personal level, we're going to say Cousin Lois. Mm -hmm. So she can be Cousin or Miss, but she still kept us in line. There were some of the other mothers that were there. Um, Florence Phillips, she was in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, she made sure she was also there for us. Um, a lot of the families that lived on the road that's connected to the school, we walked there. We played there. We were in the, in the front of the school, the back of the school, the auditorium. So we hung out there at that school throughout the time that the building was active. We had summer school there. We had summer school all during the summer. So we didn't have to leave boys to go anywhere to have fun. We were right there on the school property. And we kept it clean. Um, I can't even look back and tell you of any fights during my time there or even afterwards, after I graduated from there. So we were kept in line by all of our family members that mm -hmm. um, worked there and, and, and kept the grounds, um, kept it up for us. Thank you, Ms. Daly. You're welcome. Any other questions? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now we will hear from... Um, Ms. Della Turner Douglas. If you could come up to the, uh, so we, yeah, that way we can get it on the record. If you could sit down here and. Uh, I went to Taylor before she did. <laughs> so she knows a lot more about the latter history than I do. But we all graduated from there. Our parent, my father went to school in White Ground. He didn't go to Taylor, I don't think. He must have gone to the older school. But the entire family lived in that community. And the school was an important part of our lives. Um, we didn't do a lot because we just didn't have things like going swimming or anything like that, unless we went to the hole or something like that. But we 
all lived in the community and the school was our support. And I cannot say as much as Miss Tally did, but we're all relatives. <laughs> and we're supporting the effort to acknowledge Taylor School. And I can't say any more. Thank, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, at this at this point, we'll start our deliberations. And um, would anyone like to start off, Commissioner Barnes? Oh yes. Uh, for designation, John Liebert's uh, cultural resource planner for the record, for uh, designation criteria to be uh, a master plan historic site, you only have to meet one of the criteria. And it's one of any of the nine criteria there are. So, so out, of, out of nine or whatever you have, we need That's what the, the report, that's what the staff report had in it, yes. Yeah, let me, if, um, if you don't mind, um, we let us deliberate here for a minute, <laughs> and then any questions you have, we will try to answer, if that's okay. So we can keep things rolling here. Thank you so much. Commissioner Barnes? Um, I'd like to start by saying that I'm fully supportive of the recommendation of staff that we uh, recommend to the planning board when it's reconstituted that this be made a part of the locational atlas with a view towards ultimately having it a master plan site designated. And I agree with the criteria that our cultural historian has cited. Um, I'm also uh, deeply touched by the testimony we've heard this evening about the significance of the school to the life of its students. And I, I appreciate <clears throat> my fellow commissioners' comment that an alumni association, which takes some work to set up, would also be a good organization to keep the memory of the school alive and attention focused. I raised the question about maintenance because as we heard in the very extensive staff report, unfortunately in this county there was a long history of differentiation in how schools for white people and black people were maintained. And while not an expert, from my sort of drive-by, <clears throat> this building is standing, but it doesn't look to be in the best of shape. I've not been in the inside, so I can't comment on that. And the HPC's purview is the exterior of buildings. So looping back around, if in fact the planning board accepts it and it is recommended to the county council and the county council agrees that this should be a master plan site, there will still need to be attention to ensure that it is maintained. And that's where the kind of suggestion from Commissioner Burdett could have an impact because that is a group of people who have a deep interest in the school um, who can continue to ping and remind people in government that steps need to be taken. But I'm very supportive of this proposal. Commissioner Doman. Yes, this is Commissioner Doman. Likewise, I am supportive of um, the application for the um, uh, locational atlas, and I'd like to just uh, thank our cultural historian, John, for the excellent work on this report that was put out. Um, a lot of work I know went into it. It's loaded with footnotes and loaded with a lot of detail, more than I ever knew about uh, the county and about the situation since I'm not originally from this area. One thing I'd like to suggest um, maybe to the um, people that are here tonight and um, have a vested interest in this, a lot of times these historic buildings come up and um, people don't realize the history of the place. And what I was thinking of is that in a lot of schools there will be a 
a, a display where you put your trophies up or pictures of the classes and stuff like this. I think if you could build upon and take some information from this report, you can make a real nice display so when people go into your building, they would see the history of the building because just driving by doesn't look like much, you know. And unless you talk to someone like you, um, you wouldn't know the history. But if you had a, a nice big display with pictures of the school and some history that's out there, I think that would really help your case along. And I think people that aren't familiar with it, that are, that are relatives or something, come back to visit, they'll see all the work that the Planning Commission put, or that our Historic Preservation Commission put in on this, and I think that would help you sell your program. And also, I think that maybe um, some like little brochures would help you out too, if you had I, what I envision be like a little trifold or something that would be a very small little thing that if people, your relatives, if somebody comes to visit you, you could tell them about the school, but you could give them something to take back and say, this is the school I went to, this is the history of the school that we went to. So I'd like to, I'd like to see you people follow up and, and really make a nice big program at your school. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, let me, let me um, if there's no more, no more comments, let me just try to explain a few things. You were asking some questions, and I hope that we can answer them here. Um, generally, we have folks that come here that have had projects before, and we mention all these, all these terms, and they get it. So let me try to explain so that you understand what we're doing. Um, we've, set, we've used two different terms, a locational atlas and a master plan site. And those might seem kind of strange. Uh, they sure did to me when I came on this commission. But essentially what the locational atlas means is that's the first step. And so once a project is listed, and this goes through the planning board, once it is listed on the locational atlas, it is protected from being um, demolished. Correct, boss? Thank you. <laughs> the second part, if it is listed as a master plan site, not only is it protected from being demolished, but any kind of work that's done on it is required to come through our board. And what will happen is the school board will present what we call a hop. Now, it's not like hopping down the road. And I, I don't do well with acronyms, but this stands for a historic area work permit. And so any work that's done on this property, on the exterior, not the interior, that's the one thing that's different from us, from others, some other agencies, is that we deal with the exterior uh, only and we don't deal with the interior, but that's, you know, hopefully we can, we can work with that as well. But the main thing that, that I think is of interest to you is it'll be protected, and it will be protected because of its significance. It won't be protected just because it's a building. It will, it will be protected because it is a very, very important building to this county. So I hope that answers your question for, for what we're doing here. Um, so if you have any questions, we can, <laughs> we don't usually do this, but since it's a, a small uh, meeting here tonight, if you have any questions for us, we, we would be happy to answer them. It, it pertains, it doesn't matter who, who owns the building, who owns a building that's listed either in the locational atlas or as a master plan site, they are required to take care of it. Uh, and as I said, if the school board, if they are doing anything to the building, they are required to come before us and have any work done on the building, on the exterior approved by us. But they're required to, they can't, they can't do anything but maintain it from here on out. If it goes through the planning board and the county council. I beg your pardon? It could be sold, but it still would have the same protection. It wouldn't matter who owns it. It would have exactly the same protection no matter who owns it. Right? 
I want to make sure that I, <laughs> I have to look over at staff because I want to make sure. This is Rebecca for the record. Um, actually, what we'd like to do is just bring a microphone down to you all just to make sure that we, we capture the conversation for the record accurately. But yes, to, to reiterate what the chair said in response to the question, I believe. Do you mind? Do you mind repeating it one more time? Uh. And do you mind? I'm so sorry. Yeah, could you could you state your name too, please? Press it when it turns green. You have to hold it. Yep, and it's on. And do you mind just stating your name for us? Yes, my name is Nanette Hunter, and my question uh, had to do with the protection of the building as that pertains to the school board. If the school board is not in favor of it being designated as an historic building, then does that have any bearing on whether it is adopted or not? And also, could it be sold? It sure, I, I can. I want to try and jump in to, to answer this one, but I'm Please. sorry to interrupt the chair. Please. No. So again, this is Rebecca Ballow for the record. As the chair said, this, the Board of Education could dispose of the building. They could sell it. Whether properties are designated as, as historic or not, it doesn't impact, you know, property owner can, can sell them or a government agency could dispose of the property. But the protection remains in place. I've been working with the Board of Education and their staff um, since 2019, since yeah, 2019 on this project. John and I had had discussions with Essie McGuire when she was their Deputy Superintendent in Facilities. And in April of last year, so in April of 2021, I presented this item to the Board of Education when Jack Smith was the superintendent. And Mr. Smith was supportive of the designation. The Board of Education members were supportive of the designation and of the work that they were doing, and they recommended that we proceed with, with the designation process. They were very excited about the project. Okay, I, th let's, um, I think we probably should move on here. Um, I see that we have several options here. Um, I think we need to we need to determine what is a period of significance. Uh, that's our job, and I think uh, I think we first of all, Mr. Lieberts, I want to thank you for the wonderful presentation. Um, it was really really outstanding. It helps us a lot when we have things done. And I got to tell you, separately, thank you for putting the footnotes at the bottom of the page. <laughs> um, Anyway, I think we have several options. One is I think we've decided that the period of significance should not be uh, 1952 to 1979. I think, I think we should probably not have that date. But I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we might have two different possibilities. One would be uh, 1952 to 1961 when it was a segregated school, and that's primarily why we are nominating this. The other would be 19. 52 to 1969, and I, you've done all the work on it, um, but I would like to get your opinion on which you think would be the most appropriate period of significance. Um, it's going to be preserved. That doesn't matter, but I think it, it would help um, to help with what was going to happen in the future to know what the period of significance is. Right, and sorry about misspeaking earlier. I do think the period of significance I have is, you know, the correct dates from what I intended from 1951 to the closing of the building in 1979. Okay. I think that best represents the time of this, you know, when it was a segregated elementary school is obviously the most important or one of the important parts of the story, but also the integration process and being one of the only integrated element, one of the only consolidated segregated black schools that were then used as an integrated elementary school. You know, that's an important part of the story as well. And just the importance of the building to the local community while it was used as an elementary school. So I think the, the most appropriate period of significance would be from 1952, the building's construction, to its closure in 1979. Thank you very much. If there are no more, no more questions, no more comments, I would welcome a um, motion. 
This is Commissioner Burdett. I would like to make a motion that the Historic Preservation Commission in regards to the Edward U. Taylor Elementary School number 18-11-6 at 19501 White Ground Road in Boyd's, Maryland 20841 that the Historic Preservation Commission in accordance with the staff recommendations um, can you go back one, there you go, thank you. Uh, staff recommendations finds that the Edward U. Taylor School meets the designation criteria as outlined in 24A-3 of the county code. That we recommend that the commission, HPC commission, recommends that the planning board list the Edward U. Taylor School to the locational atlas and index of historic sites. And the commission recommends that the planning board recommend that the county council list the subject property in the master plan for historic preservation. And that we, during, in this motion, I also would like to add that the um, period of, oh gosh, period of significance, period of significance <laughs> is dated from 1951 of its Nin construction to 1951 or 52. 1952 yeah. to 1979, the closing of the elementary school, and it will include the entire building with the additions and the environmental setting, and that the school represents, uh, is historically significant for uh, its, its um, use during the period of segregation, its period, the period of integration, and its importance to the local community as a center of the community. Thank you. Is there a second? This is Commissioner Haynes. I'll second. Thank you. All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you so much. The motion passes, and we will move this along. Thank you so much for coming and joining us this evening. <clears throat> the next item on our agenda are historic area works per uh, work permits, um, set, uh, number two on the agenda. Um, have the work permits been advertised? Yes, Chair Sutton. The work permits were advertised in the September 28th edition of the Washington Times. Thank you. Um, item number one. Our number 2A at 6713 Westmoreland in Tacoma Park. Item number 2B at 7403 Carroll Avenue, Tacoma Park. Item number 3, 2D at 101 Park Avenue, Tacoma Park. Number 2E at 10221 Meredith Avenue, Silver Spring. Item number 2F at 7136 Carroll Avenue, Tacoma Park. Item number 2G at 46 Philadelphia Avenue, Tacoma Park. Item number 2H at 10012 Capitol View Avenue, Silver Spring. Item number 2J at 120 Park Avenue, Tacoma Park. Item number 1L at 7336 Piney Branch Road, Tacoma Park. Item number 2M at 21 Quincy Street, Chevy Chase. Item number 2N at 108 Water Street, Brookville. And item number 10 at 208 Market Street, Brookville. Mr. Chair, hearing no objections, I move that we approve the following historic area work permits in accordance with the staff reports based upon the record before us, in consideration of the recommendations of the local advisory panels, and including any conditions recommended by staff. Hop number 989155, revision at 6713 Westmoreland, Tacoma Park. Hop number 1003389 at 7403 Carroll Avenue, Tacoma Park. Hop number 1006012 at 101 Park Avenue, Tacoma Park. Hop number 1006095 
at 10221 Meredith Avenue, Silver Spring, hop number 1006013 at 7136 Carroll Avenue, Tacoma Park, hop number 1006685 at 46 Philadelphia Avenue, Tacoma Park, hop number 1006956 at 10012 Capitol View Avenue, Silver Spring, Hop number 1007132 at 120 Park Avenue, Tacoma Park. Hop number 1007429 at 7336 Piney Branch Road in Tacoma Park. Hop number 938097 Revision at 21 Quincy Street, Chevy Chase. Hop number 977418 at 108 Water Street, Brookville and hop number 1007594 at 208 Market Street, Brookville. Is there a second? This is Commissioner Barnes. I second the motion. All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. All these pass. And while there's nobody here in the building, thank you all for putting together packages that can easily be approved by us. The next item on our agenda is item number three, Historic Preservation Tax Credits Transmittals, groups number one through five. Uh, that, that's, that's correct. Um, there are approximately um, two dozen staff report, or two dozen tax credits that have issues that need to be resolved. And while those are, are getting fixed, our staff's recommendation is to have the HPC approve the transmittal of previously approved groups one through five to the Department of Finance for processing. Do I have a motion to submit groups number one through five to the Department of Finance for approval? This is Commissioner Burdett. I make a motion that the Historic Preservation Tax Credits uh, groups one through five for 2021 Historic Preservation Tax Credits be transmitted to the Department, of the Department of Finance. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So is there a second? It's Commissioner Haynes, I'll second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you very much. Next item on our agenda are the minutes from September 21st. Would anyone like to make a motion on those minutes? I actually, I will. They were. They were available yes, for I, review. And I read them. Okay. And I'm going to make a motion that we approve them. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Is there a second? This is Commissioner Pelletier. I will second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Are there any commission items? Would, would Vice Chair Burdett like to give a, a plug for the MPI awards? Not to put her on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, this is Commissioner Burdett, and um, I would like to invite everyone to come to the Montgomery Preservation, Inc. Annual Awards for Historic Preservation. That's the 34th Annual Awards for Historic Preservation on Friday, October 28, 2022, from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Historic Kensington Armory at 3710 Mitchell Street, Kensington, Maryland. And please RSVP back to MPI at MontgomeryPreservation.org. And there will be light re refreshments provided. Thank you very much. Any other commission items? Staff items. Uh, or yes, I should say a staff item. <laughs> there, is, there is one staff item, uh, Mr. <coughs> Chair. We, we looked at a revision to a previously approved HOP 993240 at 7128 Willow Avenue in Tacoma Park. And it was for a uh, material for the deck and screened-in porch that were approved at the June 8th meeting. In this case, it was um, erratus decking, and the commissioners uh, examined a sample and uh, seemed to voice their support for it. Actually, they did voice their support for it. Okay, with, with the voice of support, do I have a voice <laughs> making a motion to approve this amendment? This is Commissioner Haynes. Um, 
I make a motion that the Historic Preservation Commission approve the revision to HOP number 993240 at 7128 Willow Avenue, Tacoma Park, for the uh, use of the artist's um, decking material as presented by staff. Is there a second? This is Commissioner Burdett. I second the motion. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Any other business? If not, our meeting is adjourned. Thank you so much.